Mark chapter 5, verse 18, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So Jesus heals a man from a horde of evil spirits who had lived among the tombs and was legitimately out of his mind. His condition was not a biological disorder. It was an invading force of evil spirits who had overcome his soul and driven him far away from his home. And we read several stories where evil spirits were encountered in the New Testament, but we need to remember that the gospel narrative stretches over three years. So it wasn't as if they cast out demons all the time, but they did encounter them on several occasions. We can learn several things from the scriptures regarding the existence of evil spirits, demons, fallen angels, or whatever other name you want to call them. They are literal beings, eternal, intelligent, and evil. They tempt and they harass, influence, and possess anyone they can, but their power is limited. The power of God is the ultimate power in our world and in our universe. And the powers of the darkness cannot overcome the power of God. They are limited, but they can overcome a person who is vulnerable to their evil. And in this story, we see a few things that are very helpful if we choose to believe and stand in our faith. And it says in verse 6, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So the first thing that we see is this man, totally controlled by evil spirits that indwelled him, runs to Jesus and fell down in a position of total submission to him. He was prostrating himself down, which is a position of worship. The demons didn't flee. Rather, they ran to the master and fell at his feet. They knew they were in the presence of God. So the first thing we should take note of is that Jesus is in charge, plain and simple. He wasn't stressed out about this. Then the evil spirits, speaking through their victim, proclaimed by name and addressed him by the title, Son of the Most High God. They're giving Jesus the honor he deserves. How many people pray to God kind of in the generic, and their prayer kind of sounds like something that's canned or that's rehearsed? There's not a lot of real true worship or true adoration or true acknowledgement of God Most High. And as a new believer, I begin to notice that people who really love the Lord, when they prayed, they would address Jesus by name in their prayers, and they would praise him and give him honor. And this was weird at first, but then I realized as I began to get to know him that prayer is very personal. It's a conversation between two people. So I began to use his name and simply talk to him, trying to always remember to give him glory and honor that he deserves. And like Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's giving glory and honor to God first. Then the evil spirit adjures Jesus, or he tries to put him under some kind of oath not to torment or torture them. Now, I don't see Jesus as one to torment or torture anyone, but I have personally experienced the reaction of some very evil people when you start talking about Jesus. Most people that don't want to hear about it just get quiet or say something like, yeah, I'm not interested in your religion or something like that. At that point, I don't talk about it. I try to find something else to say to them. But those who make the hair stand up on the back of my neck when you're around them, I've noticed that when I mention Jesus, man, they start getting weird, anxiety, fidgety, facial expressions, reflecting like discomfort and stuff and more. It's really creepy. But that's the effect that the light has on the darkness. It's like turning on the light and seeing the cockroaches scatter. And if anyone has lived overseas for any amount of time, they probably have a story or two about roaches. They hate the light and they run to find cover of darkness. But when they're trapped in the light, they get totally desperate. And Jesus has that effect on people. 
even people who are high rollers. They can be decked out with all the bling and the glam and confidence in themselves. We start mentioning Jesus and they get weird. And like, <laughs> That's the effect that holiness has on evil. So Jesus delivers this man from demons. And in verse 14, it says, And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They knew this guy very well, and now he's sitting there in his own right mind. Why do people get afraid when they see miraculous things? I've seen many things the Lord has done that were miraculous, and I get really excited about it when I see them. But for some, it's like they've seen a ghost. If we really know Jesus, the miraculous is not that big a deal. It's just God doing the supernatural intervention in this natural world. It's not that big of a deal to him. It's amazing. It's cool, but it's God. And I don't see miraculous things all the time, but when I do, I just smile. And and as a dear brother of mine who's now with the Lord used to say all the time, Way to go, God. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it will say, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Now, one of the things that you can take out of this is the fact that when a person is delivered from evil spirits and they do not surrender to God, the power that delivered them in the first place, then they're open to those things returning. And I recall an audio book that we listened to as a family years ago about a missionary to the Philippines who came to know and love an elderly lady in the tribe she was ministering to. And the missionary didn't have any experience with the supernatural. Rather, she was from that side of Christianity where they don't really do a lot with that. It's very much minimized. Well, then she led this woman to the Lord, and the woman was delivered from evil spirits that taunted her, and immediately she experienced that freedom from her oppression like this guy did. But shortly thereafter, the demons returned and began to physically afflict the woman in front of the missionary. And out of desperation, the missionary prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said, you need to tell the woman she needs to repent of the evil which she didn't do upon being delivered the first time. And the missionary loved this woman and didn't see her as evil and was even more disturbed because now she had to tell her she's evil. But as she watched this horror unfold in front of her, she cried out to the woman to renounce her wickedness, and then the demons left. And in the wake of that disturbing event, the woman acknowledged that in her soul, she had harbored a lot of darkness, and that became a trap door for the evil spirits to return through. So when we come to Christ, we need to take out all the garbage. So Jesus delivers the man from the legion of evil spirits that were in him, which is another thing we should understand. Demons could travel in bands, and the entire group can afflict the poor soul who has fallen victim to them. And this man is now free from the torture of these foul beings, and he does what is natural. He wants to stay with the one who saved him. He wants to follow Jesus. But Jesus does something strange. Rather than say, follow me like he did to the others, he says in verse 9, And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So as a new believer, I recall reading this and thinking that, you know, what about the man's follow-up, his discipleship? Who's going to disciple the guy? Who's going to teach him? How can he get to that next level of faith and go deeper in the Lord? You know, who will do this and who will do that? But really, what I came to understand is that a person delivered from that much evil, they're going to be able to figure it out. 
Jesus no doubt said more to this person than what is documented, but he was comfortable sending the man home. And perhaps the man would meet up again with Jesus at some point in his ministry and become a disciple. What we do know is that the man did the most important thing after receiving the instruction from the Lord. He obeyed. And as a result of that, says in verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The guy became a witness immediately. Look at me. Look at what this Jesus of Nazareth has done for me. And they can't deny that. I heard a saying not too long ago, and I thought it was so good. I put it on the homepage of the website. The saying says, many religious people go to church because they're afraid of going to hell, while many spiritual people go to church because they've been through hell and they have no desire to return. I thought that was really good. And the man in this story experienced the supernatural oppression of the powers of darkness. He was delivered and now he was free. And knowing that horrible state personally, he would have no desire to return. And in my spiritual camp, the people that I'm associated with, we have a lot of church leaders that came out of real darkness. And some not so much, but others have gone through hell and understand this man's story very well. In Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Being delivered from darkness is something everyone needs to experience, no matter what level of darkness you are in. And when we deny that there's no darkness in us, we're only hurting ourselves, we're fooling ourselves. There is deliverance available for things in our lives that sometimes we don't even understand them. And that deliverance comes when we seek Him and believe. Ephesians 2.8, For grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So this grace, which is getting good things we don't deserve, it's available. In Romans 5.2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That grace, that salvation, is there for the taking. Thank you.